Good morning. Open, if you would, please, to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We are in uh, week four of our series called The Fruit of Faith, and uh, we will wrap that up next week. We have kind of talked about how these people of Hebrews 11, they believed things to be true about God, and what they believed to be true about God shaped how they behaved, shaped their conduct and their actions And today we are in Hebrews 11, finishing up Hebrews 11. Next week we'll actually be in Hebrews 12. But we want to, uh, here's what we have on tap today. Here's our theology. Faith rightly settled in God empowers boldness in suffering. Faith rightly settled in God empowers boldness in suffering. Our application is this. Our suffering is made lighter through faith in God. Our suffering is made lighter through faith in God. And our prayer today is, God, give us hearts and minds grounded in truth, in the truth of who you are, and give us grace and strength in our suffering. In Hebrews chapter 11, as our theology being faith, let me point this out really quickly, faith rightly settled in God empowers boldness and suffering. Uh, There are a lot of people who say they believe things about God. There are a lot of people who say they have faith in something about God. And there are a lot of people who just, let's be honest, get things wrong about God. And in uh, 25 years of preaching, there have certainly been things I've been wrong about in the Bible, and that happens, and we grow and we mature. But the reason I put here in this theology, faith rightly settled in God empowers boldness and suffering is because there are a lot of people who, uh, if you're misinformed about who God is, it will cause a struggle in your walk, and it'll make suffering even more difficult. And so faith rightly settled in God empowers boldness and suffering. Look at here in Hebrews 11, verse 35. That's where we'll pick up, and we'll read down through the end of the chapter. By faith, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mockings and floggings and chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they were walked about in skins of sheep and goats, they were destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they would not be made whole or not be made complete or perfect." So listen to the suffering that these people did because of their faith, because of their belief in God, it enabled them to suffer well. It says that some were tortured, refusing to accept release. Some suffered mockings and floggings and chains and imprisonment. Some were stoned. Uh, This is where people would pick up a whole bunch of rocks and circle around you and throw them at you until you died. Another way to be stoned is you'd be laid on the ground and some sort of a a board or whatever would be placed over you. And then rocks would be piled upon the board until the rocks crushed you. So some were stoned for following Christ. Some were sawn in two. Some were put to death with the sword. They were forced to walk around uh, destitute and poor, wearing uh, sheepskin or goatskins. They would hide out in the deserts and in caves and in the mountain dens, and uh, they suffered because of their faith in Jesus. And it begs the question, why do that? Why suffer for the cause of Christ? Why suffer because of your faith in Jesus? And the answer is very simple. It's all over the scripture, and it is because they know that Christ is better than the suffering that they have to endure. They know that Christ is worth more than their suffering. Now, you and I will probably go our entire lives and never be stoned to death. You and I will probably go our entire lives and never have the peril of being sawn in two unless you're just incredibly careless with your chainsaw. 
uh, I remember being in a tree, trimming a tree for a buddy of mine in East Texas. I like to trim trees. This one had a lot of dead in it. And so I was in the tree with a chainsaw, which I've just decided I'm not going to probably ever do again. In a tree with a chainsaw is just a scary thing. And I remember I had cut through this branch. When I came down, the saw came down, and I'm trying to balance in this tree, and the saw came down. I was like, whoa, that was close, you know? And I kind of breathed a sigh of relief. And as I looked down, my shorts had been sawn through. And I thought that was a little bit closer than, uh, and it was <laughs> at that moment I decided no more chainsaws in trees. <laughs> so if you ever see me in a tree with a handsaw, and you're like, well, that guy's a fool. Why isn't he using a tra- chainsaw? Because I came shorts width away from bleeding out on my friend's property. Uh, I don't think I would have lost the leg. I think the saw would have stopped before then. But anyway, you know, we're not, we're not in risk. We're probably not in, at risk of being imprisoned for the sake of Christ. Maybe our kids are. I think it's coming at some point. Maybe our kids or our grandkids will face that, but that's probably not. I, I, don't, I don't think anybody's going to come in here and pull me off the stage and throw me in jail today. It's not something I'm worried about, you know? And I think when we think about suffering, we tend to think of these kinds of things, and we tend to distance them from ourselves, and we think these are not things that really pertain to me. These are not things that I'm really worried about. But the reality is that you will endure suffering of some sort. That's the reality. Someone you love will get sick. Uh, Someone you love will struggle. You will go through a divorce. You'll go through a job loss. You will have somebody that you love who is close to you die. Like, we will suffer. You'll be mocked for some reason. You'll be persecuted for some reason. And while we might, might not be in peril of death for our faith in Jesus, the idea of suffering will not be foreign to us. The idea that we could make it through the, to the end of our lives without suffering of any kind is probably more foolish than it is optimistic because suffering abounds. Um, most of us have had broken hearts. Most of us have been crushed by something uh, emotional. Most of us have lost someone dear to us. Most of us have suffered. And yet... At the end of Hebrews, it it ends with these people who suffered at the cost of their lives and suffered persecution for the cause of Christ as an example of people who believed so deeply in the person of God and who he was and what he had declared that it emboldened them and equipped them to deal with suffering. I want to share with you a text that I think is parallel. You might argue that point, and we can discuss that on Wednesday. That'd be really fun. Show up Wednesday night, and we'll talk about it. Not to argue, but like to dialogue right? Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Uh, Jesus says this in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. He says, he who hears my words and does them is like a wise man who builds his house on a foundation and the winds and the rains blow and beat against that house and it does not fall because its foundation was firm. But he who hears these words of mine does not do what they say is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain and the winds blow and beat against that house and it collapsed and great was its fall. Jesus is talking to uh, the, the Jews in Matthew 5, 6, 7, and 8. And he, or 5, 6, and 7, and he is reminding them that the law won't save them, that he is the Messiah. He's calling them to believe him and to put faith in him. And essentially, here's what he says. If you believe me, If you put faith in my words, if you trust what I'm saying, it is like building your house on a foundation. And he says, when the rains and the winds come, the house won't fall because its foundation is sure. 
catch this, the foundation for the person that secures them from the storm is that they believe the word of God. They believe Christ, that he is who he says he is, that he's capable of what he says he's capable of. Their faith is in Jesus. He says, someone who does not put their faith in me, someone who does not believe my words is a foolish person. Christ did not pull many punches. Uh, They're a foolish person whose house is built on the sand, and when the winds and the rains come, that house will collapse, and great will be its collapse. Great will be its fall. Here's this idea. The idea is not that Christians are spared the wind and the rains. You know that, right? You know that there are preachers who get up and say, oh, you're going to be fine. If you come to Christ, you'll never suffer again. That's hogwash. Hogwash. Wow, that's... That's, a, that's an old one, isn't it? Um, I am 46 now. I can't wait to see what I'm going to say when I'm 50, you know? Whippersnappers and stuff. Get off my lawn. Uh, so, so there's this idea, right? Uh, there's this idea in this text, and every now and then you'll hear people say, come to Jesus, you won't suffer anymore. Come to Jesus and everything will be okay. And, and What's interesting is uh, I've had the opportunity to uh, do a couple of mission trips in some closed countries and, and be in a couple of places that theoretically could have been dangerous for us. And we, we went and came back fine. Uh, but one of the places that I went uh, in Indonesia, uh, the, the people who are being led to Christ there are being told that if you put your jeopardy, uh, that that's just the reality of it. Faith today in Christ means possibility of death tomorrow. And they say, man, we, we want him. We believe that Christ is God. We want salvation. We want Jesus. We want righteousness in him. And the faith that they have enables them and prepares them and equips them for whatever suffering they might face. And, and the preacher who has told you that if you come to Christ, you won't suffer is misinformed at, at best and at worst is just straight up lying. But the truth of the matter is this. We will suffer But when we rightly understand who God is, it enables us to suffer well. It enables us to suffer boldly, to be able to take the circumstances of our life and endure it and come through the other side, or in some cases, at the end of our life, we will have come through the other side and we will see Jesus face to face. These people in Hebrews 11, at the end of Hebrews 11, suffered because they believed God. It's as simple as that. They believed that he was who he said he was and that he was worth following and knowing, and they suffered for it, for that belief. I'm moving quickly to the application today. I know we normally spend a lot of time on the theology, but I want to point this out to you. So the application today is this. Our suffering is made lighter through faith in God. Our suffering is made lighter. Not our suffering is gone, but our suffering is made lighter. I'll give you a really quick example. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul is talking about the resurrection from the dead. And he says this in 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. It's a really interesting verse because I think, uh, well, let me say it first and then I'll explain it. Because what Paul is saying is, speaking of the loss of those that we've loved, he says, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Paul doesn't say we don't grieve. There's a grief but not a hopeless grief. 
There is a grief with the, with the reality that there is a life beyond this one, that there is a resurrected life, that those who are in Christ are promised eternal life. In fact, Jesus says this, because I don't want us to think of eternal life as only what happens when we die, but Jesus said in John 17, 3, now this is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. The eternal life, for those of us who have put faith in Jesus, eternal life has started already, and we know confidently that when we close our eyes in death, we will open them in glory, and we will behold the living God. And so Paul says of those who have put their faith in Jesus, we grieve them, but we don't grieve them hopelessly. We grieve them. So the, the grief is tempered by the faith. The grief is framed by the faith, the, the, the promise of resurrection, the promise of new life, the promise of, of Christ coming back one day in a glorified body. The, the, this promise shapes for us the grief of loss, right? And so this is what, this is kind of the idea, this is kind of the point. Look, uh, you don't have to turn there, but if you're a note taker, Romans 8, 16 through 18. Some of my favorite verses, I, I use them frequently. I, I promise you I'll come back to them again and again and again. But Romans 8, 16 through 18 says this, The Spirit of God testifies with my spirit that I am a child of God. And if I'm a child of God, I am an heir of God and co-heirs with Christ, provided I suffer with him that I might also be glorified together with him. And that's the end of verse 17. And if it ends there, it's a little bit of a dour note that it ends on. Right? Paul says this in verses 16 and 17. The Holy Spirit tells my spirit, you belong to God. And because you belong to God, you're an heir of God and co-heirs with Christ. Everything that God gives to Jesus, he's going to give to us. Provided you suffer with him that you might also be glorified with him. But look at verse 18. But I am sure of this, that the, the sufferings of this present age are nothing compared to the glory that will be brought to us on the day Christ Jesus is revealed. I love how Paul brings that back around. He doesn't just say, look, you can be glorified with Christ if you'll suffer with him. What he says is this, and I promise you that the sufferings don't weigh nearly as much as the glory. I promise you that the suffering does not carry as much value as the glory. When you're looking at the, when, when you're looking at the, the cost-reward kind of motivation of your life, the cost of the suffering pales in comparison to the abundance of the glory. Right? That's what he's saying. He's saying that whatever degree, to whatever degree you suffer, it is nothing. It is, it is made nothing compared to the glory that surpasses it, to the glory that's coming. And similar to what he says, but not exactly the same thought, similar to what he says, uh, that's muddying the water, so never mind. 2 Corinthians 3, if you want to talk to me about it more. This idea, this idea that suffering is shaped and tempered by our belief in God. If we have too small a view of God, too small a view of God causes us to crumble in suffering. A right view of God empowers us to endure suffering and gives us hope in the midst of it. There's something on the other side. The other side might be, I've closed my eyes in death and I've woken them in glory. That might be the other side. And, and, and we think, man, if, what, if, what if my whole life is suffering? An entire life of suffering is still small compared to the eternity of glory. The, the, the problem is that we as people, even Christian people, we think way too much of our 70 or 80 years here on this earth and not nearly enough of eternity. 
We think about what we can make of ourselves and what we can be and who we can know and what we can accomplish and what legacy we're going to leave. And we forget that the only legacy that lasts is the legacy of Christ. That's it. I mean, even if you become somebody super famous, like, you know, you get a byline in a history book somewhere. But Christ is forever. Listen to this. This is from Philippians chapter 3. Another favorite text. It's one of Micah's favorites. It's what his ministry is named after. Philippians 3 verse 7 says this. Paul says, Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I consider everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own which comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, so that I can know him and the power of his resurrection, so that I can share in his sufferings and become like him in his death, that if by any means possible I can attain from the resurrection of the dead. Verse 7, whatever gain I had, I consider loss. I have suffered the loss of all things, Paul says, for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Romans 8, whatever suffering I have to endure pales in comparison to the glory that comes next. Philippians 3, whatever value I had, so catch this, it's it's two sides of the same coin. Whatever suffering I had pales in comparison to knowing God. Whatever treasure I had becomes nothing compared to knowing God. The great value, the great worth is understanding the truth of who Jesus is, understanding the truth of who God is. And when we understand truthfully who God is, Paul says this, Um, that I have suffered the loss of all things. He says, I have now suffered with Christ. I want to share with Christ in his sufferings. I want to become like Christ in his death. Why? So that I can attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul knew that identifying with Christ in his suffering, that, that it prepared him to also share with him in glory. Hebrews chapter 13 says this at the very end of the, of the chapter, not quite the end of the chapter. Uh, but Paul says this, ah, We don't know that it was Paul. I do that a lot. The author of Hebrews says this. Uh, The author of Hebrews says, Christ suffered outside the gate, just like all the old sacrifices did. Let us go outside the gate and bear the same reproach, the same curse that Christ bore. Let's suffer with Christ. Let's join with Christ. Micah taught us a song a few weeks ago about suffering with Christ and being invited to suffer like Christ suffers. The, the, The problem is that most people, most people's view of life is I want to avoid suffering at all costs. Anything that I can do to avoid it, I will. Suffering for the cause of Christ? Suffering in Christ? Should strike us a little bit differently. In in Acts chapter 4 or 5, I can't remember which one it is because the story occurs a couple of times. But in Acts chapter 4, I'm going to say verse chapter 5. I'm going to say it's chapter 5. Some of the disciples have been beaten for for preaching the truth of Jesus. They were were found in chapter 3 and then again in chapter 4. And they were told not to preach in his name anymore. And and they go away and they're praying. And in chapter 5, I think they're beaten again. And the Bible says that they were beaten for preaching about Jesus. And as they walk away, the Bible tells us this. It says that the, the disciples rejoiced that they had been counted worthy to suffer with Christ or suffer with the cause of Christ. They, were, they, were count, they rejoiced that they had been counted worthy to be beaten for the cause of Jesus. 
That is a, that's a different view. That's a different take on suffering, right? But most of us don't, don't think, man, if I get to suffer for the cause of Christ, glory be. Like most of us are like, you know, anything I can do to avoid that, I'll be okay. Let's just be really honest. It's, it's why some of us wouldn't dare, and this isn't, this is just an example. This isn't even your death, but like, it's why some of us won't be bold enough to share Christ with our coworkers. We don't want to be ostracized. <laughs> we don't want to be called out, right? Man, I, 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 just, I just don't want to step into that discomfort. When we come to the place where we recognize that God is who he says he is and that Christ is who God declared him to be, that he is the living God of all the universe, that he spoke and the worlds came into existence, that he holds, up, holds together all things by the word of his power, that he's coming back again one day on the clouds with glory and that the skies will be split uh, by his return. When, when, we, when we fix our mind on that, and, and we believe that and we hold to that in faith and truth. And it has laid in our lives the foundation that this is the core of all that I believe and hold dear. That empowers us and enables us and equips us to suffer boldly. And it makes suffering all the lighter. It makes suffering more bearable. One of the things that I find really interesting is uh, the martyrdom of Polycarp around 161 A.D., and one of these days, I'll just read you the whole story, but you can go Google the martyrdom of Polycarp and, and, and read it yourself. But it's, a, it's an interesting tale. And he is, he's in his, uh, Polycarp is a direct disciple of John, who is in the Bible. And, and Polycarp uh, was a faithful preacher and was proclaiming Jesus. And he's well into his 80s now. And they have arrested him and they are about to kill him. They're about to put him to death. And one of the governors comes to him and says, look, have respect for your age. Have respect for your age. Just deny Christ and we'll let you go. You're an old man. Have respect for your age. And he says something along the lines of, I forget the exact age, but he says something along the lines of, 80 and four years I have walked with Christ and he has never done me wrong. How can I deny him now? Right? And, and his attitude is that. His attitude is... Do, like Christ is where my value is. Christ is where my hope is. Christ is where my affection lies. And the suffering that he was about to endure, he, he thought of pales in comparison, pales in comparison to the truth of knowing Christ. In fact, at one point, the governor shouted to him and he says, do you not know that I have the power to have you burned? And he says, oh, yes. He goes, you speak of a fire that burns for just a moment. But I know of a fire that burns forever, speaking of hell. It's like, like, your threat of momentary fire is no threat to me. Because I know of hell that burns forever. And his view of who God was and his view of eternity and his view of righteousness shaped how he suffered. They did try to burn him to death that day. The witnesses said that the fire encircled him like a sail and would not touch him. And the governor went and commanded one of his soldiers to strike him down with the sword. And that is how Polycarp came to his end. I don't know, I don't know if it's divorce. I don't know if it's loss of life uh, of a loved one. I don't know if it's sickness for you. I don't know how it is that you have suffered or how you may suffer. But I know this. God is unchanged. And he is true, and he is righteous, and he is holy, and in him there is life. Let me read you this text from 1 Peter 4. I'm gonna, you can go there if you want. Uh, 1 Peter is about three and a half pages long. 1 Peter 
talks a lot about suffering. In fact, in three and a half pages, it mentions suffering 17 times. And Peter is writing to, he says at the beginning of the book, he is writing to the Jews who were dispersed across the nations, who are being treated wickedly by the nations that they are implanted in. And they're being persecuted, they're being put to death. He tells them in one place, he goes, look, if you suffer as a murderer, so what? You deserve it, right? But he goes, if you suffer well as a believer, if you suffer well because you're suffering in Christ, he goes, that for you is glory. And listen to what he says here. Uh, I'm going to pick up in 4.12, 1 Peter 4.12. Beloved, read beloved as believers, Christians, those who love Christ, those who have put faith in Jesus. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory in God rests upon you. Listen to this again. Look at verse 13. Rejoice so far insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Romans 8, 18. We consider the sufferings of this present age nothing compared to the glory that will be brought to us. Philippians chapter 3. I've considered all things lost. I've suffered the loss of all things for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Here, rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings so, so that you can also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. There's this mindset of the believer that when suffering comes, we rejoice because we know that in it, the glory of God is made known. In the suffering of Christ on the cross, the glory of God is revealed. Man, this is, this is a different perspective on suffering. Flip over a couple of verses to, uh, to chapter 5. Look at verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by all of your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Be sober-minded, be watchful, be wary. Your enemy, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Be encouraged. The brethren around the world suffer like this all the time. But recognize that your suffering is momentary. Your suffering is for a little while. Read that as maybe until you die. Your suffering is a little while. But then what? Then the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Are, are, are you seeing this in Romans chapter 8? Are you seeing this in Philippians 3? Are you seeing it in 1 Peter 4, in 1 Peter 5? Suffer well. Endure your suffering well. Why? Because on the other side of suffering is the glorification of God, the making much of God. The way you suffer either proclaims God or does not proclaim God. There's not middle ground. We're all going to suffer. Man, it would be really awesome if we weren't. Bad days are coming if they're not already on you. And how we suffer, how we suffer will determine Sorry, what we believe about God will determine how well we suffer. In James chapter 1, it says this, beginning in verse uh, 2. 
It says, consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you face trials of many kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work, making you mature and complete, not lacking anything. And it's beautiful after that. It goes on, but this is the point. Consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because the testing of your faith develops perseverance, makes you mature and complete. James says, rejoice in your suffering. It's making you whole. It's making you complete. The word complete there is perfect or whole, uh, uh, finished. It, the, the testing of your faith, these trials that you're going through are making you complete. But I want to give you another thought on it as well. I want to give you another thought on your suffering from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Listen to, this is 3 through uh, 7. Listen to how many times he says comfort. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we can comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's just the first two verses. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, through Christ we also share abundantly in comfort as well. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort and experience, uh, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. We know that as, we, as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. Listen to Paul's perspective on suffering. Paul's perspective on suffering is this. I'm glad when I suffer because God shows me by his great grace and his mercy shows me comfort. And my suffering and my comfort, Paul says to the Corinthian church, is for your sake. Listen to what he says. If I suffer, it is for your salvation and for your comfort. And if I am comforted by God, it is so that I can comfort you in your affliction. Paul's view on suffering is that it advances the story of the gospel, that it proclaims Christ. Paul also holds to this in Philippians chapter 1, where he says that because of the gospel, he is now a prisoner in chains. And in Philippians 1, he says, some preach Christ now, because of my chains, some preach Christ out of envy, seeking to do me harm, and others seek to preach Christ out of love. He says, all I care about is that Christ is proclaimed. Listen, Paul's in jail, and he's like, man, me being in jail has made a lot of people start preaching. Some because they want to partner with me and some because they want to be against me. I don't care so long as Christ is preached. And now Paul says to the Corinthians, my suffering is for your sake. I was at a pastor's conference many years ago. I was listening to a preacher preach and he was recounting when he was a young man, when he had been in his early 30s at a pastor's conference, and a guy, an old guy got up, a guy who had been a missionary uh, in, in a closed country who had been physically abused and tortured for his faith, and he stands in front of these young group of pastors, and he says, let me ask you a question. If your pagan neighbor, if your pagan neighbor who has no relationship with Christ and you right next door to him who loves Christ, if God comes and says one of you is about to endure incredible suffering, he asked the question, which one would you rather it be? And of course, all the young preachers said, the pagan neighbor. Let them do the suffering. And the old preacher uh, said to them, he said this, he said, they aren't equipped to deal with the suffering like you're equipped to deal with the suffering because you recognize that the suffering of this world is nothing compared to the glory that will be brought to you on the day Christ is revealed. We, we, we do everything we can to avoid suffering, everything we can to avoid suffering, and yet, if, let's talk about it in a couple of categories. If it's persecution, if it's suffering because we're believers, that identifies us as followers of Jesus. 
We should welcome it that we share in the same thing that Christ shared in. We should rejoice that we suffer like Christ suffered. We should rejoice that we're counted as his people. Some people will never suffer for the cause of Christ, and I'm not, I'm not talking about us necessarily, but because no one knows they're followers of Christ. You're not going to be mocked as a follower of Christ if no one knows you're a follower of Christ. So if we're talking about persecution, if we're talking about arrest, if we're talking about these kinds of trials, bring them. Listen, we've said this before, Micah and Pierce and I have said this before. If, 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 our, if our country, the United States, if it comes to a place where church is just as illegal and just as under threat as it is in China, it won't keep us from meeting. It just won't look like this. But we're still going to meet. We don't know how that looks yet. We'll figure it out when we get there. We have some ideas. We'll be in your home with a group of two or three other families having dinner, and we will meet, and we will proclaim Jesus, and we will rejoice that we are suffering like Christ suffered. But let's talk about the other suffering, the suffering that comes with just being part of this world. Death and sickness and poverty and hurt and broken hearts and divorce and pain and all these things that seem to crush us How are you doing under those things? Listen, I, I'm not saying your heart can't be broken. I'm not saying you can't shed a tear and flood your pillow with tears. But, but I, I've known people who have died well. I've known people with cancer. I think of my friend Terry McKinley. He had cancer, I believe, in his lymph nodes. It ended up going into his brain and his heart. It ended up uh, closing off his throat as it grew in his neck. And, uh, and he had a trach at the end of his life, and, and he was still physically active enough that he was texting people and touching base with people, and he would sit up as best he could in his office, in his house. And the four guys that officiated his, his service, he had written to all of them right before he died, and he said, do not make my funeral focus on me, but make it rather focus on the glory of Jesus Christ. Remind people now that I am in the presence of God. Man, he just, he just died well. I've also been near people who have not died well, who died in fear, who died not knowing what comes next, who died angry. Unless Christ comes back, all of us are going to die, right? Unless Christ comes back before that happens. Let me say that differently. Christ is coming back. What I mean is, unless Christ comes back before you die, you're dying. And what you believe about God shapes not only how you face your death, but how you face this moment. I bought myself a bathroom scale. It arrived yesterday. Thank you, Amazon. I haven't had one in a couple of years. I haven't worked out in six months. I got on the bathroom scale. I'm the heaviest I've ever been. Everybody looks at me and goes, you're really skinny. It's because I wear black to hide my love handles, you know. Uh, my belt, I'm, I've had to move it out a notch recently. Uh, I was wearing some snap pants the other day. I bent down to get something, and the button popped open, and I was like, I'm going the wrong way, you know? So I got on the scale, and I thought, the very first thing I did is I went for a two-mile run. It was a very slow run. Six months ago, I was running two miles in about seven and a half minutes, uh, a mile, which was really good for a 45-year-old. At 46, yesterday, I ran it at about 10 minutes a mile. I was like, man, I got a long way to go. At a mile, 1.25 miles, I was like, man, I'm ready to quit. I know I should also change my diet, but I like Wiener Schnitzel. Uh, you know, I, I like Wiener Schnitzel and I like chips and dip. Um, I, I just can't see myself going to Roses and not getting queso. 
Um, I just can't. I don't know. Like, I mean, I can limit myself to 50 chips instead of, you know, something. But I, I just, you know what I mean? Like, I, I like food. If we have cookies in the house, I'm always going to have a couple of cookies and a glass of milk with a spoonful of peanut butter before bed. Anybody else spoonful of peanut butter for dessert? I see a couple. I, the guys aren't raising their hands. The wives are pointing at their husbands. But you guys know what's up, right? So here, here's this thing. I can do all of that. My dad died a year and a half ago. He had ballooned up to 320 pounds. He was just under six foot tall with his tiny seven and a half foot feet uh, and uh, just like little feet, you know? I, I don't know. I mean, that's just small feet. It's amazing that he could stand at all, really. But, uh, um, but when my dad went into the hospital about five months before he died, my dad gave up. He hadn't walked in about two weeks when they got him out of his trailer and put him in the hospital. They tried to get him to do physical therapy. He refused to do it. They said, look, you're young enough. Uh, in the five months, he had lost like 50 pounds just laying in this hospital bed. And, and so they were like, we, we can get you up. We can get you going again. And he was like, I just don't want to. He, I quit. And he quit, and he eventually died. Five months later, he died. And, and I look at that, and I think, you know, I don't, uh, all of my dad's family, everybody on my dad's family dies of heart attacks or dies because they quit. Um, and, and I think I don't want to be that guy. I'm 45, 40, sorry, just turned, I'm 46. I, I don't want to be that guy in 20 years. So I need to make some changes today, right? That's my thinking. So I, I'm going to start working out better. I'm going to make moderate food choices, you know, better a little bit, right? But, but here's the thing. I could still die of an aneurysm tomorrow. I, I could be on my way to my studio tomorrow and somebody could cross the center line, and hit me head on, and I'm done, right? My studio is a wreck right now. I could trip over the extension cord, hit my head just right on the easel, and be done. And Michelle wouldn't even know until, like, I don't come home for dinner, you know? Just be laying there. My paintings would go up in value because I'm dead. <laughs> but but here's, here's the point that I'm trying to make. If my faith and my confidence is in me, the storms are coming. They are, folks. Suffering is coming. And if my faith and if my confidence is in me and what I can do, when the suffering comes, I'm going to find myself inadequate to handle those things. I'm still going to die. And the, there's no foundation in myself. I have no foundation to offer, no, no ultimate truth to offer. It's just me. It's just Ryan trying to do better. And if I suffer like that, my suffering is for naught, and I come into my suffering with a broken heart, crushed by it, and I come out the other side, if not completely destroyed, a mess. But if my faith is in Christ... If my rest is in Jesus, listen, I can eat better and I can go run again today and I can get my mile back to maybe an eight-minute mile uh, in the course of the next couple of months. I can do those things. But if my faith is in myself, suffering will still crush me. But if my faith is in Christ, then when the suffering comes, I endure it boldly. And it seems a little bit lighter for myself than it does for the other person who doesn't seem to know Jesus as well. I just started reading a book, uh, literally just started reading it yesterday. I bought it about six or eight months ago, and it's called Deep Survival. And it says, who lives, who dies, and why? And the book is just talking about how some people come into these situations and they die, and other people come into the same situations and live, and what's the difference? And I don't know what the guy is going to say based off the first couple of chapters. It's not going to be in Christ, but I'm standing here before you today, and I'm telling you this. We know Christ. 
Whatever this book offers is going to pale in comparison. We know Christ. And what enables us to endure our suffering well, what enables us to come to the other side of it, even at the cost of our own life, is that we believe that God is who he says he is. And we believe that righteousness is found in him and holiness is found in him and forgiveness is found in him. And we believe that this world is not our home and that one day the sky will break through with Jesus and the new Jerusalem will collide with earth and we will receive our glorified bodies and we will reign with him forever. And we believe that and people look at us and go, how is it that you're still okay? And we say, because we know what comes next. The sufferings of this present age are nothing compared to the glory that will be brought to us on the day Christ Jesus is revealed. Your faith and your understanding of who God is will determine how well you suffer. It won't keep you from suffering, but it will determine about how well you suffer when it comes. That brings us to our prayer today, which is this. God, give us hearts and minds grounded in the truth of who you are, and give us grace and strength in our sufferings. This will be a difficult prayer, perhaps, for some of you to pray. We usually want to pray, God, spare us from suffering. But it's coming. So God, give us hearts and minds grounded in the truth of who you are. And give us grace and strength in our suffering. Would you take just a moment to pray that? To ask God to ground you in his truth? No earthly philosophy, no human strength, no human agency. Your faith is not resting in anything of this world. Your faith is rested in Christ. The crucified King, the resurrected Savior. Take a moment to pray those things. God, we know that the deserts are coming and the trials and the suffering and the hurt and the broken hearts. We know that at some point we will be mocked and persecuted and ridiculed because we've named the name of Jesus. We know that we will lose loved ones. We know that our bodies will fail us. We know that money might be tight. We know, God, that suffering's coming. But God, help us to also know that you are God, that Christ is resurrected, risen and alive, seated on the throne with glory and power. Help us to remember that we who have named the name of Jesus are forgiven, that we're holy, that we're loved, that we're righteous, that we've been redeemed and rescued. Help us to remember that there is a kingdom coming that is not of this world, an eternal kingdom, that the new Jerusalem is on its way, that Christ will return with eyes like blazing torches and a face as brilliant as that. Let our minds be fixed on those things 
Let us remember that as Christ was raised from the dead, so also we will be raised from the dead. Let us fix our hope on the truth of eternal life in you. And God, give us boldness in our suffering. Cause our suffering to seem lighter. Use our suffering, God, and the way we endure it as a testimony to the non-believer. Let, let our suffering be done so well, Lord God, that others will see your truth and your glory and your name. And in all of this, Lord God, in all of this, may your name be exalted and glorified. It's your name we pray now. Amen.